minimalists. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Shout out to our Patreon supporters for supporting the podcast, keeping it 100% advertisement free. We're going to talk about how surviving isn't living. I wanted to talk about that today, but we do this little segment here called More About Less, where we start with an article or something to read. It's really a jump-off point to discuss uh, what's going on right now in the world. So this is More About Less. I pulled out an excerpt from The Artist and Soul, which is Irwin's book, and this is early on in the book, but I thought it was perfect for our, our current time. So I'm just going to read this, and we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about it. Once the Los Angeles Times described Los Angeles is Los, described Los Angeles' number one export as creativity itself. We live in the shadow of the iconic sign that once read Hollywood Land, yet strangely enough, most of these artists were not born here. They come from everywhere, from Detroit and Des Moines to Atlanta and Albany. No matter where we are, we live in a world of artists. While it's clear that world-class cities draw world-class talent, it is equally clear it is equally clear that world-class talent comes from everywhere. Mega cities rank, rank high in human attributes like intellect, education, and creativity. This could lead us to a false impression of the limited commodity of human creativity. The reality is that big cities pillage small towns by making themselves more attractive to those who are most keenly aware of their talent and take on the discipline to, refi to refine it. Where I live... While I live in a world of artists, I am also keenly aware that artists live all over the world. The artisan soul goes much deeper than simply those who understand themselves as artists and are pursuing careers in an overtly creative field. I have come to realize over, after over 30 years of studying human crea creativity that the great divide is not between those who are artists and those who are not, but between those who understand that they are creative and those who have become convinced that they are not. The, the, the great divide is between those who understand that their very nature is that of an artist and those who remain unaware or in denial of their artisan soul. My question here is, has the pandemic sort of ruined living in big cities in a way? Yes. <laughs> I've been trying to convince. I send him houses in Idaho. Like once. once I almost a moved day. to Idaho before we moved to Montana. Did we, you? Yeah, we almost moved oh to Boise. My um, but you're a perfect example of what I wrote. Yeah, coming from Dayton to here. Right, because you're from. And then you moved even to somewhere smaller than Dayton. Right, right. To, to Montana, yeah, for, right. for a bit. Yeah, you know, what's fascinating about that, though, is I moved here pre pandemic, obviously. We moved here three years ago. Right. And I couldn't imagine <laughs> moving here right now. Right. I, I, it's, it's fascinating because like everything that we came here for, why, why do people come to LA? Well, this is the place that people go to tell stories. Yeah. And, and in doing that, you, you come here because you have access to everything that LA has to offer mm. until now. We talk about this every, every day. single day. Why do we live in a city where the, our favorite things are the people and, and like the food and the experience and the coffee and, and just being in the energy. And then when the energy turns pretty much sours, but you go to a grocery store right now, it is a horrifying experience. Less now when it, than when it yeah. first began. Oh, that was terrifying. It was yeah. terrifying watching people turn on each other. Well, my wife went to the grocery store and was verbally and almost physically attacked by a man. Yeah. Yeah, while she was shopping. Oh my god! In the middle of all this pandemic and uh, with uh, Black Lives Matters, and people are just so uh, angry edge. and on edge yeah. and hostile. And and uh, she didn't tell me till later because she, 
you know, was just so shaken up by it. But yeah, that when I moved to Los Angeles, uh, a huge part of it was I did a global assessment and came to the conclusion that Los Angeles is the capital of the future. And if you want to impact the future, you come to LA. So it was really intentional for me. And my wife, who's from a farm in the mountains of North Carolina, I had to convince her of this. Yeah. And that I would tell her, look, in LA inhales the world and can exhale whatever you put within it. And now I'm like, I don't know why we're here because LA has lost its place. And she goes, yeah, but you've preached this for years. You've said this for years. I said, first of all, the internet shifted geography. Yeah. And our most, uh, even at Mosaic, our most faithful um, contributors almost have never walked into our building. Wow. They live in other cities and other places that are not in cities. And what I find is that the more wealth people have, the more they're choosing to leave cities. Fascinating. And now there's a few few reasons for that, right? There are a lot of reasons for that, but some of it is, um, interestingly enough, when you actually develop wealth and you have a deep faith, a huge part of the value is, wow, I get to create some sense of peace in my life. Yeah. And what you're advocating, you know, they just create a minimalism with wealth, yeah. and uh, and but sometimes the minimalism is people. Yeah. They just decide they don't want the complexity of people um, mm. around them and mm. just to live a very simple uh, private life. Yeah. And, but when you're looking at cities like LA, all the things we loved, like restaurants and coffee shops and you know, the, the, the quality of life that happens through creativity and diversity and, and opportunity and the synergy of people yeah. interacting, talking. You walk in the coffee shop and I mean, everybody's talking about an idea. Right. It, yeah, there's it, this energy. It, 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 there's an energy in the city, it's all gone. Yeah. So you now go to the beaches either. Like there was a, there, four months right. where you couldn't go to the beaches. You couldn't really hide. You like, couldn't surf. I couldn't surf. Which is it was sad. <laughs> we still surfed, but, well, but we well, had to sneak out. Th- so then everything that there are a lot of downsides to living in a city, and the reason you accept those downsides are for all the upsides. Right. And now we've lost all the upsides. So all we have are the downsides. Yeah. It's not like we've lost the downsides as we lost the upsides. No, the too. downsides are still with us. In fact, they've increased because they've become. It's like when you turn the volume of. So I have tinnitus, and it's like a, I, when I turn the volume down, it it it's it gets louder, right? Yeah. That's the downside, right? Yeah. And so now the, our sort of collective tinnitus has been turned way up. Absolutely. And and our where we live, uh, for about four months, we had helicopters over our house every single day. Uh, almost every hour, nonstop. And uh, oh, this is the—you live near Garcetti, right? I do. We were talking yeah, about yeah. this. So we were recording something for Netflix, um, which will hopefully be out around Christmas. And uh, the day that the the riot started, I yeah. don't know if you remember, but like you were driving. We we, we met out. <laughs> I think it was Culver City out there. Yep. And as we were driving back, I, I was texting Kevin like, "Hey, did you guys make it back okay? Because Fairfax was on fire." Yes, that's right. No, and that's really walking distance from our house. Yeah. And our the street it that was one street off of the street we live on. And we couldn't get home. Everything is getting uh, set on fire. Um the police were everywhere. Even uh, the people during the protests were going by our house. And uh it, it was it, it was intense. Uh, there was a lot of anger, a lot of violence. And and I'm going, "Okay, why why am I here again?" Mm. It, 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 you know, it's it's yeah. It's challenging, and we want to be here in the middle of the city's pain. Yeah, but it's almost as if 
you can't even do that because everybody's in solitary confinement. Right, and, and it removes the compassion in a way, right? Yeah. Compassion, you know, meaning to be with someone during their suffering. Mm-hmm. It, it, but if you're not allowed to be with them in a way, it creates, how do you do compassion from a distance? And, and oh, by the way, other community spaces like your building, which is right across the street from here, yeah. has been shut down for well, almost six months now, yeah. I guess? Six months, yeah. yeah. Since, Feb- since February, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty crazy. And so while you're, while Mosaic isn't closed, the building is closed, or you have the online presence, but that's, that's I, I think to me, online supplements the in-person stuff, right? I think in the, I think in the beginning, that was the phrase everyone used, we're not, our doors are, we're not, we're not closed. We're still mm-hmm. open, but we're, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. You know, I think yeah. people got pretty inundated with Zoom really early Oof. on and mm-hmm. to get me on a zoom call my goodness yeah that is like it's <laughs> like trying to get me to you know it's like trying to get me to go to the grocery store i'm not gonna it's you know there's no chance i'm gonna amazon hopefully prime that thing or something like that but no i it's it's not the same i don't think it's a supplement i think it's a different tool and it's really awesome to reach people there's billions of people who can access it through the internet mm-hmm. it's awesome it's a great way to expand and share with i have so many friends who've gone to church or listened to a message or you know, read a, you know, gotten a, listen to a podcast that would have never come into church because sure. they're like, I will set on fire. And I'm like, no, you won't <laughs> unless you bring something that's flammable. And, and, but, but it, but on the other side, it, I think it exhausts people. Like we're looking only at our screens yeah. now. And I mean, there are practical things like, um, I, I remember I walked into the store one time and they recognized me from Mosaic and, and, I said, have you guys ever been? And they said, no, we've been thinking about it because we see thousands of really attractive people and we don't have any place to meet people to date. (laughs) (laughs) The one guy said, I'm so sick and tired of going to bars to try to meet someone that can actually do life with. And uh, I mean, I've been married 36 years, it's not my issue, but now where do singles go? to meet someone, not just for like a hookup or a date, but where do you go meet that person that you, you want to spend life with? Because you, you're you not going to meet a healthy person in an unhealthy environment. Amen. Right? It, it's, yeah. it, 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 that's just a part of insanity. And, uh, and it's harder to know someone online. And I know there's all these like different websites where you can go meet people, but that really was supposed to be supplemental to real life where you met someone in the normal experience of life. And one of the things people don't talk about is church wasn't just a place where you worship. It's not just a place where you learn. It's actually a place where you have community and build friendships and, and find each other. Yeah. Yeah, and, and now that's gone. Well, and there's something fascinating about about community because yeah. all of those things exist within community. Whether it's friendship, it's support, it's help, it's contribution. It's also it, it can be dating as well. Yeah. Where do single people go to date, Aaron? I don't know. Before, <laughs> I think it was either like the club or Air One grocery stores in L.A. <laughs> that's like the running joke. But but or church. Uh, I mean, Mosaic has beautiful people, but. I don't know. I mean, it's. I mean, it's like you do do you date online or on Instagram, but then even then, it's how do you date and get to know someone digitally? And you know, I, it's just an odd. I'm just hanging out with my family. Like we're, I'm good <laughs> right now. So, uh, but, I, they there's an but I don't think they realize they put the world on hold. Right. And and uh, look, I, I'm not a conspiracy theory person. I know you want to talk a little bit about COVID along the way, but let's do it. You, you know, let's go there. I I I, I, I uh, look at life. I mean, I'm 62. So, and I've had huge respiratory issues in my life. I've had cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm in that vulnerable group. Yeah, the highest risk group. I, I'm in the, on paper, I'm in the 1% of 1% of the highest group. And uh, so I'm gonna say this from my vantage point. 
uh, I look at this whole situation. I believe COVID is real. So let's be you know real clear there. Yes. And I believe that people um, have died and are dying of COVID. Yes. Um, and I, I also believe that some of the measures are helpful, you know, like some social distancing and masks and things like that. So I'm not an extremist on, on that side. But what I would say is when I look at the statistics and I look at people like me, I would have never thought a quarantine was the best strategy. I, uh, I we spent what a trillion dollars in, on the last um, stimulus, stimulus, mm. and or or two. I was think it was two. Two yeah. trillion. Yeah, sorry, it's a, you know a trillion here, a trillion there, right? You know, <laughs> and we could have spent two trillion dollars taking care of of the people in my category. Right. Imagine if we had spent two trillion dollars on the wow. vulnerable and the elderly and said we're going to pay. Um, all your rents, all your mortgages for the next two years. Wow. We're going to make sure the groceries are delivered to you. You could have handled that with two trillion easy. Yeah. And then you said to the rest of society, you go to work, you do life, um, you go through this herd, you know, process. You get you get COVID, you get past it. We'll work on the vaccine. We'll work on immunities, but we're going to protect our elderly and our vulnerable through our resources. And we use those tr- two trillion dollars to protect us rather than to stop. Um, society from existing right and and I I feel like quarantine was not a strategy it was a reaction it it does seem very reactionary in general that's why I wanted Mm -hmm. to talk about the difference between surviving Mm -hmm. and living I think we're we're in survival mode right now but I I don't think you can you can stay in survival mode forever and live a life that is meaningful worthwhile thriving nobody asked us see if you had asked me do you want us to stop the whole world so that you can survive? I would have said no. Mm. I want I want the world to go forward, and because I'm not afraid of death, and I love life. Yeah, you know, so I want to live as long as I can in this life, so I have no death wish. But th- but at the same but you time, you want to live. But I have a life wish, and I'm going. I don't know how much of my life you saved, but I do know how much you've taken. Mm. And I'm concerned how much more of my life you're going to take and by making choices based on fear. Fear is never the best motivator for good decision making. Yeah. And I feel like we're making decisions out of fear. And, and I think we need to be making decisions not on how to not die, but on how to live best. What has COVID stolen from us? You, you, you said that, you know, that I, I, you said you, I, I know that I don't know how much life they've mm-hmm. saved, but I know what they've taken, but mm-hmm. what, has, what has it stolen? I mean, even for us, just opportunities to travel the world and, and get to do what we do. We were supposed to be in New Zealand, Malaysia, London, Mexico City, Seattle, all of these different places, dozens and dozens of trips, which is not very minimal. It's it's a constant travel, but it's a part of our lifestyle and a part of our life. I mean, even just the fact that like I get to be a part of like a smaller mosaic community in Venice. We meet in the elementary school on Abbot Kinney, or we did. And oh, wow. and then to, to, to not see friends for six months is actually crazy or even just the friends who just don't live here anymore because their jobs have said work from home and you know the leases are up so they're living in ohio or they're living in florida texas wherever they're from and it's just it for me even dating like it's such a different experience to go hey i'm not going to meet anyone for a while yeah or if i'm going to meet someone like we probably won't see each other or there's that breaking that whole barrier of it's already weird and awkward to meet someone at wherever you are to go. You want to go hang out in a third space where we don't know each other and we can figure each other out. But now it's like, let's go do that and possibly risk our lives, right? right. That's what the media is saying. And, and you, you end up just these fears start layering, you know? 
And for me, I'm highly OCD, so I'm using that hand sanitizer all the time. And 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 but I do I do think it's it's stolen so much of our lives. What has stolen that we cannot measure oh. at this time is our mental health. The ramifications of a year-long quarantine on a generation uh, between the ages of five and and sixteen are going to be devastating. Uh, they're going to they're going to live their lives in fear. Yeah, they're going to be experiencing the effects of post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, they're going to be struggling with depression and suicide. Uh, they're going to. Um, we we already see how even. The, uh, so how social media in the virtual world has reduced the amount of empathy that people have on a natural level because empathy is developed by the psychological and physical cues of a person's expressions and and texting that's why texting is so harsh and so brutal yeah we would never say things face to face that we would say on text yeah. and we're gonna have a generation that is depleted of empathy and that um, is afraid of human contact yeah, and 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 is afraid of death. Like w when you're 16, you're afraid of dying. Um, you're you're in a different psychological mode For than because sure. a part of the power of being 20. I mean, I did such insane things in my 20s. I mean, I would walk in the middle of drug cartels with Uzi machine guns everywhere, cocaine stacked to ceilings, and uh, and talk to them about choosing a different life. There were people who used to put bets on my life which day I would be assassinated. And for 10 years of my life, I lived with such fearlessness because I had the stupidity of a 22-year-old that didn't believe he could die. Mm. And now we're losing that and uh, we're gonna have a generation that's gonna live fearful and be uh, emotionally paralyzed. And I don't think we're factoring in the effect of that. We're gonna have a culture that isn't prone toward wanting to work. And we're developing a generation that right now is going, wait a minute, we didn't have to work for a year. Why do we have to go back to work? Wow. And why, why, why sh you wanna talk about sub-minimal. We're, we're, we're in danger of not minimalism, of a sub-minimal life. Yeah. Where people are gonna become more lethargic and, and, and want to be supported by the government. I mean, we're now creating a mindset that the government should actually provide for us a life where we don't have to work and we don't have to, um, to create. So I think there's a lot being lost that we're not measuring right now. Well, that's the sort of infantilization that we talked about a moment ago. Mm -hmm. It's just extended to some crazy dystopian uh, terminus. A and I I'm thinking right now about um, my, my daughter. She's uh, seven. She just started the second grade. But like it's, you know, it's on a screen, right? And uh, <laughs> I'll ask at the end of the day, like how was your day of school and she's like well I thought, what was your favorite part she's like right now now it's over like the, <laughs> the, the, there's no the, the, there's no sort of i don't know it's not it's not the same experience at all it's 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 similar to what's going on with your building versus meeting online that's why i, I said it's the online stuff is fine as a supplement i take supplements but they don't replace all of my meals yeah i think someone said watch what happens to a generation that uh, has had no interaction with other people their age raised by parents who are day drinkers. <laughs> and, oh, uh, wow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I've talked to so many couples right now where their marriages are barely surviving. Wow. And these are people that you would normally put into the healthy category. Yeah. And I, I, I almost do not know a couple that said, oh, wow, we've, it's gotten better for us in the last six months. 
Yeah, at first, I, I actually, you know, I'll, I'll divulge a little bit here. My, I felt like we were thriving the first month or so into it because it was like this needed pause. Like we all can use a pause from time to time, even if it's a forced pause. Yeah. Uh, but when you protract that for too long of a time, then all of a sudden it's like, well, this isn't a pause anymore. We've just stopped everything. Right. And in, in my own marriage, uh, Bex and I have a phenomenal relationship, but I could see the, the bits that have been straining it, you know, the over, the, the wear and tear over the last six months, right? <laughs> and, and especially with, with having a seven-year-old in, in the mix, um, that obviously complicates things. And I think what this is doing is making us start to step back and question what is essential. You talked about the sub-minimal thing. Mm-hmm. The, you know, our, our tagline for the podcast is uh, what it means to live a meaningful life with less, not what it means to live a life with less, <laughs> right? Because you can show anyone how to live a life with less. Just right. rent a dumpster, throw all your stuff in it. You'll be utterly miserable a month from now. You just got rid of all your pacifiers, right? <laughs> so the question is, how do we live a meaningful life? And I think that question has become even more complicated at a time like this. Yeah. I, we talk about this all the time, that like it, it is, whether fear is a choice, whether, but, or we're being shamed into being afraid of everything at the same time, or, or, you know, how do we continue? Well, life, we, you know, we were walking up the stairs, we we're saying, this is the new normal. And I'm like, no, I reject that idea. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want to go back to normal. I want to go forward, but I also don't want to accept the imposed rules all of the time. So we struggle. I struggle. Like I, I, I don't love masks. I don't love being afraid to hug someone. I don't love, like I walked into the room and you hugged me and I was like, ah, <laughs> it's like, like I'm not afraid of it, but I'm also afraid of what other people are going to say. And, and there's, I'm like, I just don't want to stay away from it. So for me, I kind of got more reclusive yeah. and, and I, I struggled with mental like health middle of the way through I would like I would get to see my family but a lot of it and we were busy and we we're working and shooting stuff but in the podcast but but there was so much of it I was like how do I how do I progress in my mentality when when I literally like the biggest thing of my day was that I drove to 15 minutes to their house uh. and like that's that was going to work right it was like it just it, this all of these things were kind of layering inside of my brain and my heart and I am the mentality of like like hey I'm kind of afraid I'm not afraid of dying I'm afraid of other people ruining my life because I want to just live. Yeah, and that's where I feel like I'm at. And not a pressing pause. I'm just like, please remove me from this program. Wow. And, and, and insert me into like the whole time I've been sitting here. I'm like, why are you in LA when you can live in Montana right now? I yeah. didn't ask that question, but but there's something that keeps us here, right? And and I'm not I'm not sure yeah, what that is. If you do nothing, why don't you do nothing somewhere more beautiful? Uh, right, right, and all, and more affordable as well. <laughs> more affordable, right? that's right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. think about this. 50% of the businesses may never survive this. Yeah. 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 And it's sad, yeah. And, and so you're looking at it. I can't help it. I'm an immigrant, so my mind just goes here. Like when I was growing up, one of the things I was taught was one of the ways that um, like socialist dictatorships come in is they destroy all the economy. The people become so poor that they become dependent on the emerging government to provide for them. Right. And so when you look in like Cambodia, the Khmer Rouge killed everyone with glasses because glasses were a sign of education and intelligence. Mm. And so they would kill all the teachers. And I'm going, we don't even realize it, but we're creating a, an environment where um, it's, it's, it's going to be one of those moments where we say, only the government's going to save us. Yeah. 
And and so as an immigrant, I'm going, wow, I've seen the story, but I just never seen it with a with a virus, yeah. you know. And and again, it's like I'm not a conspiracy theory person, and I actually believe COVID is real, and I actually think that people are doing the best they can. And I talked to this doctor at the beginning, and I said, what do you think about the conflicting views of all the experts? And he said, you have to realize no one's an expert. No one's ever faced this before. Right. Everyone is doing the best they can to assess what the truth is, what the best response is. And, and that's why I don't try to hold people to what they said last month or what they said three months ago, what they said five months ago. Um, but when people say trust the science, you need to realize science isn't a person. And science is an intangible. You, it's not about trusting the science, it's about trusting the scientist. And scientists are human beings with f- fallible perspectives. Yeah. And, and, and so I was thinking, it's interesting, it, trust the science sounds to me like those fundamentalist Christians who'd say, uh, the Bible says that I believe it and that settles it. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I'm going, whoa, whoa, trust, the people go, trust the Bible. I'm going, trust the science. No, you, it's the interpreter of the Bible that maybe I don't trust. Um, you know, it's an interpreter of the science that maybe we should, you know, question. Not necessarily their motive, but there was a time they would bleed people. Doctors would bleed people saying, this is what's going to fix you. Yeah. Leeches were, you know, what science said was the best way to remove that disease. Look, science is always evolving because it's human perspective on reality. Uh-huh. And, and so I, 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 uh, I do trust science. I don't always trust our ability to understand the science. Yeah. Because uh, the science is bigger than us. And the science evolves. That's something you talk about all the yeah. like, like the no, there was so much mass information in the beginning because no one knew what it was. Everyone's trying to figure it out that it was trust the science. But it's like which one of the thousands that are releasing data and going. You, the thing that scared me, made me fearful, was when you have YouTube videos getting removed and things that seem fringing because I like conspiracies. I'm not a conspiracy <laughs> theorist, but you it's a love, show I would watch. <laughs> you know, like I, and so like, I don't buy in, but I, I, but I, well, maybe I, but I pay to watch the movie of it. Like, and so that's the thing that makes me nervous is when we get to a place where if you say the wrong thing, you don't get to exist on the internet. Yeah. And I'm like, no, how, how does that, we have so many crazy things out there. How is it that like doctors saying, except for the one doctor talking about aliens, but like the doctor's, saying something that's different, how does that destroy us or hurt us as a society? I think it actually helps us and it's why we're here, right? What's weird to me is I have really brilliant friends who are far left and really brilliant friends who are far right. Mm -hmm. And the only reason they interact with each other is me. (laughs) 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 And and I've even like taken some of the dinner and I've had to just, hey, let's talk about basketball. Right. You you know, and I realized, okay, these are educated, um, really successful, intelligent people who see the world at such radical extremes and and they both feel the other side is out of touch with reality and 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 so you know my friends on the far right everything is a conspiracy it's uh. all a plot right <laughs> but my friends on the far left um, are so afraid that they're almost living paralyzed by fear yeah and and I'm and and I, I've never been predisposed toward extremes and I, I, I find things usual on extremes that are both radically compatible. Well, I think that's the thing. You have been predisposed to certain extremes that you didn't even realize were extremes. So, so like the, yeah. the minimalism thing. The, I, I think this is actually the problem with, with tribalism. I yeah. think tribes unite against something. Community unites around something. And, and when I'm looking at the, the far right or far left, isn't it really weird that if you walk down Hollywood Boulevard and you see someone not wearing a mask, I can also tell you what they think about gay marriage and about guns <laughs> and about abortion. 
And it's like, well, wait a minute. What, how, how, how does? And it's because we've decided, like, well, I have to agree with everything my tribe says, and that's the reason I don't want to belong to a tribe because I, I can't possibly agree with with you on every single thing. What, what I do like, and I think it's what you all are, are, are trying to create, is a community where you're able to disagree about things yeah. in, in a way that's like, oh, you know what? I don't know what he thinks about that because we are united around this other thing. I mean, that's something I grew up with. You always just kind of, if there's anything that you that you indoctrinated me with was this mentality of if you are only against something, then you're for nothing. Mm. You have to surround yourself with people that you are actually for things together. The best part about Bad Ready is we have a few friends that kind of early on just said, if we're going to do church online, we've got to just do this. So they shoot the Bad Ready podcast with us. There's about five or six of us that kind of have just quarantined together and for work. And we argue all the time. Yeah. We're like, because, you know, and you mix faith in the Bible. And then it's like, okay, we're both using the Bible. We're both using science. We're both using faith. We're both using the media and we're at each other's throats. And then it's like, all right, we're still super good friends. Right. And we disagree and we're DMing each other like fringe articles and it's super liberal, super conservative. And it's the best thing because we, we walk away and we're like, we're still friends. But it's one of the things people don't really understand about Mosaic uh and don't understand about us. Right is that we've never <clears throat> created an environment where only one side of any issue is expressed that mosaic. That's dangerous, right? Because if, if you're saying the other side is not allowed here, then yeah. they're either going to repress it and hide it, um, or they're just they're they're you know, they're not going to be exposed to new ideas as yeah. as a result. And I think what you're talking about, Aaron, is the difference between beliefs and values. What you're saying is your friends have different beliefs from you, but you have similar values. Right. I think the values are the place we end up, and and the the beliefs are sort of the different paths we take to to get there. Right. <laughs> right. right uh, Ryan and I, if Ryan was here, he and I have different political beliefs. We voted for two different people in the 2016 election. Um, we have different religious or spiritual beliefs. Um, we have just different personalities. Personalities, like yeah. we're radically different, but we have the same values, and I right. think that's what what brings us together. Even though we take radically different paths to get there. Let me. I wonder. I wrote this down. I want to get your thoughts. I thought this was a nice, nice pivot from what you were talking about here. Uh, you said you know, you can't say a certain thing online right. w- without you know being mm-hmm. uh, exiled or whatever. <laughs> Cancelled. Yeah. Canceled. I, I mean, I. I um, I've been fortunate enough to set up a life where I'm uncancelable, so you can't cancel me. Like we don't, there's no advertisers. You know, the Casper right. mattress isn't gonna like yeah. send me a cease and desist. They can't, right? And so the only people who can cancel me are the people who listen to this podcast, mm-hmm. right, or who watch our films or read our books. And, and you can stop doing that if if you're not happy with it. And my hope is that we add enough value to enough people's lives, they continue to spread the message. Now, I, I wrote this down though. It was sort of a, a Charles Dickens line here, but Christians are the nicest people. Christians are the meanest people. And, and it's the tale of two worlds here. And and I, I feel that that I, I know last time we had Irwin on, it was like the best feedback and the worst feedback. And it's like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm prepared for that, that sort of thing. Uh, be, because it's like, it's people come in with, with, you know, preconceived notions. And I get some people have even been harmed by religion, right? And, and other people who are who consider themselves to be very religious um are also people who want to batter you with their beliefs 
Right. So, so what, why, why this dichotomy? Like the, the nicest people I know yeah. and the meanest well, people I, I know. I think Mormons are nicer than us. I think <laughs> Mormons are scary nice. I can't go to Utah. It's too kind. But the yeah, I have Mormon friends and I'm just like, I don't understand it. I'm like still cynical and bitter at some things. And, and no, but I, I think a huge part of it was like my, even just my faith story. I grew up in the church and hated Christianity. Wow. I, 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 I always believed there was a God and, and I was really young, 11 or 12. And I remember asking my dad, I, how do you know there's a God? And he's like, whoa. And how do you know it's Jesus? You know, and I'm asking him these big questions at 11, 12. And, and maybe that's what normal people do. And, and he was like, well, what do you want to study? I was like, I want to study everything. So he dropped me off at like a Buddhist day camp. He sent me to like a Scientology, like information day on a Saturday. He sent me to like study Mormonism. He sent me to study Islam. He's, we would be in Japan and he was like, study Shintoism. I'm gonna drop you for the temple while I go speak and preach. And, <laughs> wow. and he just never, were mo- so many, I think, religious people live in fear of this. Like if, if you open your mind, you're going to be stolen from me. Mm. He was like, you can have them, and if he and if it and if what is true to us is true, he'll find his way back. Mm. And so I grew up in the church, and I really didn't enjoy it. And I found the the Christians that I were I was around to be really judgmental and 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 um, and guilt and shame driven. Given my my family wasn't, um, but but I kind of existed in this world. You, my dad was pretty controversial. He believed. Yeah everyone is creative he believed some really interesting things that people would kind of you know nail him to a cross for and really go at him and sometimes christianity can be some of the most unkind people to christians which is so interesting and so for me i went at at some point in new york i moved to new york i was kind of on a life journey and i realized like if, if i'm gonna take this step to actually step into faith and and kind of come back to this relationship with jesus that i had i need to be a part of the change to change the thing that i was so embittered towards and hated so much. And, mm. and so that, that's a part of how I got back to church. It wasn't because I loved it and it was a safe place that made me feel so good. It was actually a place that I had wrestled the most with. Okay. And so I was going to go back and go, okay, I'm going to help the reputation. I haven't always helped the reputation, but I'm going to at least hopefully make it a bridge that people can walk on to go, like, okay, look, I've been to, and now, now having friends, I have friends who don't go to church, but they invite more people to Mosaic. Than, than I ever do because they're like no 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 and I got a, I actually met a, met a friend through a friend and he, he owns a really cool clothing company Matt Happy in downtown and he was telling another friend and he they were they were on a trip and he's like you got to go to Mosaic and she was like why well, already go to church he's like yeah but this is the coolest church and I'm like no way you don't even believe in God and he's like yeah it doesn't matter Mosaic's my church and I'm like okay okay bro chill out don't be oppressive about our well, situation I, I, I was talking to everyone about that. Um, Last time we were in here, and there's a staggering number of people who from have who have even different faiths, right? Mm-hmm. Or n- no faith, agnostics, atheists who 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 attend. What, what do you think it is about mosaic that that attracts Christians and atheists and Buddhists alike? Well, I, I, it's probably more than I can fully understand. Uh, I think a part of it is that um, I I mean it's a be really simplistic i actually think it's because i really like people who are different than me Mm. and people immediately get that sense of oh wow i really do belong here you know and i i didn't start mosaic for christians for a long time i wouldn't even allow christians to come and i started mosaic for people like me who were outside of faith and my friends who are outside of faith who might never consider the possibility that there's more to this life than what they um can see with their senses um and so I, I created Mosaic for the outsider. Wow. And it's always been like that. And and some of it's like my own like internal 
sense of the goodness of people. I, I just, I think religion keeps trying to put things into people, and I'm just trying to pull things out of people. I, uh, I, I think that there's hope in there, and there's goodness in there, and that there's love, and that there's the most extraordinary level of humanity inside every person. I just want to pull it out of you. And so I've always said to Mosaic, look, we're not trying to put anything into you. We're trying to pull things out of you. It's yeah. there. And if it isn't in you, it, it, can't, it can't actually be superimposed to last. You know, and and yeah. you know, and and that's it, it is part why. Yes, I did. I must have confused Aaron so much. I, you know, <laughs> we'd go to the Shinto temple and the Hare Krishna temple and the over at the Buddha's temple, and and I, I I never felt that I should try to hide Aaron or not expose him to everything in the world, because there's there's truth in there is truth in everything, and you need to learn to see the truth and beauty in every expression of humanity. But there's also like real real human darkness out there too and you need to be aware that not everything is as it seems yeah. and and uh, what i say to you won't change you but what you see for yourself what you experience for yourself that will stay with you and i don't know if i should share this but like we're talking about the the meanness and the um the the toxicity it's not just in christianity anymore it's it's across our entire culture and yeah. and the same like the same day I had a friend who went to the RNC convention in, in the White House. I didn't know he went. I was shocked when I, he posted a photograph. And he's a friend of mine with his wife. And, he lives in Texas. We weren't that shocked. And, <laughs> and, uh, but I liked his photo because I like him. And I believe in him as a human being. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I'm privately interacting with people in the Biden campaign and saying, hey, here are things that you need to really look at to more effectively communicate your message. And um, um, and we're having that conversation. Now, that's just the way I'm built. Like I, I, I don't demonize people on either side. I, I look for the good that people are trying to do, and, and I understand their issues on, you know, and um, that, but then I start getting these private DMs. How could you ever like this person's photograph? Wow. You know, and I'm sitting, I could easily like defend myself and go, you know what I've been doing privately all week, yeah. you know, but I don't because I, in fact, I normally don't even mention these things. I don't think I've ever even mentioned on battle ready. No, no, no. And, but, um, but I, I was like that with the last several campaigns. I, I feel like if I can help the left and the right both think more humanely, if I can help them both think more uh, holistically, um, and then I'm trying to do good in the world. Yeah. And, and and it's even true on other issues. Like there there are people who become angry with me. I'm I'm sorry you had negative response. You know. Oh no no. I yeah. mean, I, we we. Uh, I'm, it, the funny thing is like we also get negative responses when we have Sam Harris on the podcast, right? Yeah, Who's world renowned <laughs> atheist, but right. then also like you, you have you 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 have both Christians and atheists that are mad at him for for various reasons. So yeah. I, I think that you're right. There's something there about the. Uh, uh, it is culture wide. I guess uh, I bring up the the Christians thing because maybe I'm the most shocked by that. Uh, no, uh, because Christians are humans, right? And humans um, are both good and bad. Yes. you know we're 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 we're, we're toxic in some ways. You know, and we, uh, if we're not careful, and um, and I wish Jesus changed that the moment you believed in him, but doesn't seem to work that way. <laughs> you know, and one thing we always talk about: we're all hypocrites in transition, and you know so. Yeah. It's what we're working toward. 
And that's why I told people, it's, it's less important to know yourself than it is to know who you're becoming. Like this in, to know who you are is less important than know who you're becoming. Mm. And because who I am is in such flux, I, I don't even know if I know who I am. And I used to try to find my identity in who I am. And I, I just gave that up a long time ago. I decided I'm going to find my identity and who I'm becoming. And I will not allow myself to be judged by who I was or even who I am in this moment. I'm going to keep pressing forward. And, and, I, uh, and so I you have to decide <laughs> the direction of human history. Apocalyptic people believe that all of human history is moving toward destruction, to the worst expression of humanity. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm counter-apocalyptic. Mm. I believe that I can be a force to bring humanity to its best future. And if we could all do it together, we can do it faster. Yes. You walked away from the church for, what, close to a decade? I walked away from public um, expressions of my faith. Yeah, but I when stayed, I say church, I mean the building of the church. Yeah, because uh, I stayed with Mosaic the yeah, whole time. He, yeah. You were in church. He just wasn't speaking at like the arena events. Uh-huh. And I stopped and, writing books. Yeah. I just stopped becoming a public figure in the Christian world. And what was yeah. behind that? When I didn't grow up in Christianity, mm. and I was actually quite shocked by the toxicity of Christianity. And I'm, I'm a really ironic person. I, uh, I, I don't need to be your enemy. Like I have no... I mean, Aaron knows this. Like, I don't have a container for bitterness. Yeah. Like, I, I just forgive almost instantly. And, um, and when I became a Christian, I was actually trying to be helpful to Christianity. I was trying to be helpful to the church. And all of a sudden, I found myself the enemy of the church. I mean, it, you know, I, uh, like How things. So? Well, I mean, uh, let me just throw this yeah. out there. We're going to have Rob Bell in here next week. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's been on a few times. Uh, he has a new book coming out called Everything is Spiritual. But, he was sort of, I don't know how, how he would describe it. I'm looking forward to talking to him about it. Mm-hmm. But in a way, sort of cast out of the, the church that he built. It sounds to me like this is something a little bit different. It is different because Rob, and I've known Rob since he was young. Yeah. You know, he spent Christmas with us like three, yeah, four he, years ago. At started. our house. Yeah. They were you know, at our house oh, for nice. Christmas. And I've known him forever and love him. And uh, he was seen as almost like the poster child of a more conservative Christianity. Mm-hmm. So then when he shifts and like when he wrote the book about uh, Love Wins. Love yeah. Wins yeah. I mean, he was 30 years old, I think, when he was sharing the ideas with me. We were in a barbecue restaurant. Aaron was with me. We Bar- Korean Thai restaurant. Korean Thai barbecue. Restaurant oh, Thai? City. I remember exactly. And, I was like 11 years old. I remember exactly what it was. And I told him, say, hey, these are not new ideas, but they're new ideas to your audience from you. Right. And I said, I think you should wait till you're 40 to write this book, which he did. Wow. And he actually writes that in the introduction. Because oh. you're 30, so your followers are 18 to 25. And if you write it right now, you might change your mind, but, but really you know, confuse them. Uh-huh. But when you're 40, your readers are 25 to 34, and they're adults, and they can handle whatever dissonance you create in them. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and so I think that there was like a feeling of betrayal, you know, the people who believed in him. Mm-hmm. And he felt betrayed by the, the loss of them, I think. You know, I'm not trying to speak on his behalf. Right? Sure. And I think there's a lot of pain there. Yeah. I was never seen as a person that was the, uh, like a voice for the right. Uh-huh. I was never seen as a part of like conservative Christianity. Right. So no one ever felt that, quote, I misrepresented myself or that I was one way, now I've changed. They always wanted me to change <laughs> to be the other way. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I was always seen as a heretic, which has actually worked better for me. Like no one ever thought, oh, we thought you were this, but now we know you're this. 
I think that was a dilemma. It would be like being a Republican then becoming a Democrat or being a Democrat then becoming a Republican. Right. I think that's the cultural experience that he's had. That's that tribalism thing again. It's that tribalism. It I never belonged to a tribe. They always saw me as this you know, obscure kind of heretic that's way out there. Because you have to realize like early on, you know, 30 years ago, um, we consciously and openly created a space for people who were gay. Mm-hmm. And I was hated by mainstream Christianity, yeah. and still hated by a lot of fundamentalists. Oh, I know uh, because of that. And I thought, I said, is this really like a conversation that people shouldn't be bullied, that people shouldn't be demeaned, that people shouldn't be shamed, that people should be loved, that should they should belong, that Jesus sees them the same way He sees you? Like for me, it was like it, it was a non-conversation. I couldn't even believe it was a real conversation. Yeah. And, and Bravo, so, by the way. Well, yeah. Bravo. And so early on, I was even privately fighting for gay rights. I never make it a public thing. And yeah. this is probably the first time I've actually been more public about that. But I didn't do it publicly because I wasn't trying to win the affirmation of a group. Yeah, you uh, mean the brownie points. And I don't. And the moment I feel like I'm being culturally coerced to take a side, I don't. I'm I'm a very rebellious person. Yeah, and if the <laughs> you don't just not take the side, you start arguing as to why that side is fundamentally broken, or or why what they're doing to impose their views on other people is exactly what the others did. Yeah, you know, I saw this in Latin America and El Salvador. Every time there was a revolution that removed dictators, the revolutionaries became the next dictators, mm. and I'm seeing that right now. The right, they were dictators. The moral majority, they were dictators. They, they imposed guilt and shame and tried to use the law to force people to conform to their opinions. And I never supported the moral majority. I never supported the right. And I was always a voice against them. And now I think the left has become the right. And the problem right. is that the left hasn't learned the lesson. Yeah. They haven't, it wasn't about position, it was about posture. And the right's posture was no one, no one matters if, you don't, if they don't agree with us. And now the left has taken on the same pa- the posture. No one matters unless you agree with us. Yeah. And so my friend who left the Republican convention, his wife was attacked as they were leaving the White House, and oh, and no. uh, and um, several and the protesters out there who were protesting Trump were violently and indiscriminately attacking people as they were leaving that convention. And I'm like, you're not making the world better. You're 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 actually now becoming everything you hated. And I. I, I actually think that we have to find a way to create a, a society of mutual respect. And we have to learn how to disagree. Like, you know, I've been here now twice. I've never asked you about your beliefs. I've never asked you like, well, are you this or that, you know? Yeah. And it, 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 like, what, but what I felt was, ah, I think we have like a common spirit. Yeah. Like we all, we all, we're all for the common good. Right. And, uh, and so I feel a connection to yeah. you. Likewise. You, you know, and I'm going, why can't other people do that? Why, why do we have to have agreement and conformity to yeah. create community? And so Mosaic for me and my own ideal was I wanted a place where I was allowed to think. I, I wanted a place where I was allowed to change my mind. Yeah. You know, like I, I wanted a place where I could grow and, 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 and not be canceled because five years ago I had the wrong view of things. Like I, I, we don't cancel people because they messed up 10 years ago. We, we don't cancel people because they had the wrong view of things or, or view disagree with us 15 years ago. Right. We go, look, one of the things we, I wrote about our podcast with Battle Ready, as I said, um, something about dealing with controversial issues and cultural insights and probably wrong a lot. <laughs> 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 you know? 
And uh, <laughs> you, you know, I, I expect Aaron to say things that later he'll go, gosh, I wish we could delete that. Yeah, because if you're not, then you're not. You're probably not saying anything worth saying, then, yeah, right? And definitely not saying anything interesting, right? Yeah, I mean, we were we had this issue yesterday where yeah. a friend of yours just started going at me because of something I said on Bad Already, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. I'm getting under someone's skin. Yeah, something that I said very like, and I even like uh, predicated it or pre put a precursor, a filmed at a later date. Hey, I, what I said in the next thirty seconds was really dumb. Uh huh. And so, like, don't hold me against me. I've slept. I need that drop. I was, the episode. I was, I was jet lagged. I was angry. I was in Sweden. It was cold, and I said some things, and it wasn't really that big of a deal. But it, I really got under someone's skin, and we're we're trying to we're having that conversation now of going. We're talking about the gay community in, in a way that we've never had. We're talking about politics in a way that we never have. We're talking about personal issues in a way we never have because in the Christian world hey it's like we're hogwarts it's like this crazy thing where you just you're not allowed to think outside of what is premeditated and decided for you to to believe in and, that, yeah. and the issue with like rob too like i remember i worked i kind of i came to to find faith again at a church in new york city and you know and they knew we knew rob and and it was like what about love wins and yeah. i'm like what about thinking yeah <laughs> yeah I, so, you don't have to agree with them to how, think different and how two, weird is it yeah in two books rob mentions me uh-huh. in his first book uh, velvet elvis yeah and because i'm the one that convinced him to start writing books <laughs> and then in love wins and i had so many people going you see Irwin's a heretic because rob bell likes him or he or he likes rob bell and i'm yeah. like i'm always gonna love rob bell and uh and i i i, I don't have to even ever agree with someone to think they're an extraordinary human being. One thing I told Rob is that you have all these brilliant ideas. If you don't write, you're not gonna leave them behind. Yeah. Like, look, if I say something or believe something in this moment, and I'm just completely wrong, but I say it in a really thoughtful, intelligent way, you have to at least address it. You have to deal with it. Like, that's why to me, like the Sam Harris's of the world are so important. I love Sam Harris. Because if, if you don't have really intelligent atheists you, then you only have like dumb atheists, and only and you only need dumb Christians to relate to it. Yeah, like it, well, it's, it's funny you say that. I was at a Sam Harris event once, and I hear someone behind me, like I hear a dumb atheist behind me, like espousing a talk these talking points, but it sounds so weird and bigoted and awful and mean. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to have this sort of intellectual twist that Sam Harris, but Sam Harris is, is a genius. And then <laughs> if you, if you just take those ideas and then, you know, put, make them two dimensional, you realize like, Oh, like that you take the life out of the thing. And I, you see that in Christianity as well, where you get people really mad because Irwin doesn't believe the world is 6,000 years old. And you're like, well, okay. Like, well, can we at least talk about it? Like, well, you I know, do you trust the science? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be another thing. Things like that. Where I, I, I it, Like so many things are so obvious to me. Like I'm going, uh, in Genesis, the sun isn't created till day four. So how do you even have like... Let there be light? Time. How do you have time? Oh. <laughs> like, uh, it, 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 oh, let there be light. Yes, there's light in the universe. But then it's like in the day four is where everything begins to happen in rotation but wait isn't so if you look at genesis literally isn't isn't it the, the light is created before the sun and it's like yeah but light is created before the sun even scientifically i don't know if you know that because <laughs> everything is energy okay and uh, so that actually aligns with reality and with the science if you trust the science <laughs> then everything is energy your energy i'm energy i don't know if this is news to you no i, I, I write this down Sean. <laughs> 
Aaron, what, what were those? Eight, what were those eight years like as uh, as he stepped away from being public facing? I mean, he, what was it? Sorry, sorry. Yeah, what on. was it like? What, what, what for you? For the family? For him? We, I was cutting you off on your podcast. I can only cut him off on my podcast. I, we're working on on the, on the cutting off thing. But the, the the five six years where he stepped away, um, that was kind of the season where I stepped away from faith. He he didn't say it, but he, he really did it for me in our relationship. Um, I we got to a point where he and he always told me this growing up, like, hey, if this becomes too overbearing or something that you guys can't handle or deal with, um, I'll step away and, and do something else. He was a business consultant before you were pastor, and and I kind of grew up him pulling me out of field trips, dragging me down to Disney, and talking about how to like diversify marketing and creating these different things. And so I grew up like a very eclectic. It was raised very eclectic, boardrooms, and and then also in, doing church in East LA in the ghetto. I grew mm-hmm. up with all my friends were were in gangs or and you know and I would stay away from or like living in like the hood and, and and kind of thing and and so the five years it was the five years I was in college or four years I was I was in college and so for me I came home one day and he basically one of his great friends was a security guard for like Oprah and all these Denzel Washington all these people and he's a big dude who was like a marine navy seal and I'm like hey why is James standing so close to you and he's and he was like yeah well there's some the death threats on my life and so something that was really interesting growing up, it was like, okay, I knew you were controversial, but now you're getting to a place where people are trying to kill you for what you believe in. And wow. it wasn't people who didn't believe. It was people who were Christians going, going we're going to take you out because you don't believe this far, far, far conservative viewpoint that we do. Yeah. And, and so for me, it became this thing of like, hey, if they want to kill you, I'm good. Like yeah. I'll take the God stuff, I'll take my beliefs, but I'm gonna walk away from the church and and that and that side of things. So those five years for me were were felt personal because he really invested in my life. Mm. He wasn't disconnected from us. He was disconnected from the the whole Christian world that was accessing him and his books and all these things. And and he left you left millions of dollars on the table and 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 then you became more successful in business. <laughs> and I and and he what and business. He, I started a fashion company and a film company and made a tech company. Yeah. Yeah. What is it like to have the most dapper father in, I did. in all of uh... This is my introduction <laughs> to beautiful girls. This is my dad. And this is what I'm going to look like in 30 years. So we're good. And if that's not a down payment on the future. But um, no, but you know, it was like those five years we adventured together. Like I, I was in college and he started this company that kind of became the janitor. And he kind of just was like, are you interested in this? Okay, cool. I'll, I'll invest in these things. And, and it was just, it was fun. That was that's the thing. Even when people were trying to kill you, we still had so much fun <laughs> trying to just stay alive. Like, and, and it was there were real threats. We had people yeah. showing up in the middle of the night at our house, and yeah. so I had kind of this early onset like idea of like, hey, what we do in this world is kind of dangerous, and mm-hmm. and thinking radically is dangerous for people who do not think radically. Mm. And and so for me, it was if you believe it, you really got to be bold about it. Those five years were life changing. Yeah, were life changing. It was such an investment. I think that's why I'm forever in debt, but also just so loyal, deeply loyal. And 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 I, I when I moved back from New York, I had I was working like a corporate fashion job, and it was funny because I was like, you know, the, you talk about this minimalist thing. I had one pair of jeans, black jeans. They were a nice pair of jeans, but they had been given to me. So I would literally wear those every day to work, and then I would go to bartend, aka I'd go wash dishes just to pay rent from uh-huh. like. So I'd go to work nine to five, and then I'd go from like seven to take a train down to Chinatown and, and work from seven to four in the morning, and then and then go back home to Brooklyn and then do the whole thing over again. And it was the best part of my life. And I was like, my life is. And I and I left. I I went from that 
from working at a company with my dad and, and, and now needing to be independent. So I gave up the money, I gave up the car, and I just went and moved into a little apartment in Brooklyn and tried to figure it out myself. And so for me, he was always so encouraging. He's like, why don't you tell me that you need things? And I'm like, I'm good, I'll figure it out. Mm. It was just, you were always so willing to let me go, but also willing to receive me when I came back. Wow. And that, that was the, those five years were, were such, we look back on them going like, we learned so much. Yeah. And, 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 and now it's just, we get to live kind of in this, I'd say it's like this bonus time. Like we're living in like this incredible season where even when things are hard, we realize that like we've come back from nothing. We've built something from nothing so many times that, that losing things is not, there's no fear in that anymore. It gives you the ability to let go and not, not be afraid of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of letting go, we got some surprise questions here from our audience. <laughs> let's uh, let's pull right. up some of these here. Uh, Jeffrey asks, how do I find a supportive community if I'm not religious? Um, I mean, I think we kind of touched on this, but like, uh, I think it depends on, on where you live and, and yeah. what your interests are. But I, I think ultimately community needs to be based on, on values, not just interests, because you might be interested in bowling with everyone you bowl with. But like, <laughs> I don't know if that makes for the most meaningful relationship, if, it, yeah. if that's your only commonality. Yep. I say, you know, one of the things that atheists are not great at is creating community. Yeah, for sure. And they're the worst at it. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're not yeah. good at I it. I was talking <laughs> to Sam Harris about this, and he was like, yeah, we're just terrible at it. And so I do look at the spectrum of what makes you more individualistic, what makes you more communal. And so I'd say if you're an atheist and you're irreligious, find a, a place like Mosaic where they just basically tell you, you don't have to agree with us to be with us, and you don't have to believe to belong. Just uh, You need people. And so with my friends who are atheists, I tell them, hey, look, man, you know, if, you don't, if there's no God, we can't hurt you. <laughs> you know, if there is, we, it might actually help you. But what you do need are humans, what you need are friends, what you need is community. So stop closing yourself out to people who believe because they're, they're really good people there too. Wow. Yeah. You have yeah. a thought? I mean, I, I, like, I play video games. <laughs> that was one thing I picked up during during the quarantine. And I, I play uh, video games with a bunch of other, like creative directors in LA, which is they like do Post Malone and and like Tory Lanez and all these like other Dominic Fike, all these other music, all these musician. Uh, Kevin, your your yeah. PA, connected us, and we play Call of Duty. But one of the things that we find is like we none of one of them on the on the thing is like, hey, whenever Aaron comes on, it's like it's Pastor Aaron. The language changes. There's less bad, and I'm like, guys, you can just be who you are. And it is an interesting thing to kind of to see the switch happen when I come on. And but it's like one of the few community places where I'm like, hey, we all love playing video games together, and we our values are so different, and yet we found this common place. And so we talk about faith, and over time, now six months later, they're like, hey, can, you know, can you pray for me? Or, or hey, this was going on in my family, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like, yeah, I'll pray for you, but also like we kind of found this place where we don't believe anything the same, but mm. we we have fun together. We find joy. So I think that's for me has been, it is hard when you're outside of a church or you, or you don't play sports or X, Y, Z, but like find people you can just laugh with and, and, and express your joy with. Yeah. And, and, and I do things with people that I don't enjoy. Like you like certain things I don't like and I just suffer through them. But that's, I, you come to church sometimes, suffer through that. Uh. <laughs> and then we'll hang out before or after and do that thing, you know? Mandy has a question for us. Mandy says, my husband has cancer and we don't know how long he has to live. Any advice on how to make the most of our time together? You all mentioned earlier that you know, Battle Ready was sort of the, at least the podcast, was yeah. birthed from the last chapter of The Last Arrow. Yeah. And, and so I think part of that was 
was, I don't know if it was, you would call it getting your affairs in order, but like th- th- there was something there, right? Uh, there, there was. I mean, I'd say one thing is, um, I'll, I'll, I'll make it personal. Don't ask me how I'm doing. I have cancer. I'm not doing great. Yeah. Um, don't be more emotional than me because then I am having to not only carry the burden of having cancer, but now I have to be your therapist. Mm. And so when people would come, I, I mean, I went to Mosaic, this girl just started crying, going, I don't know if I can take this. And I just actually I said, stop. You don't get to do that. Wow. And I had to deal with a lot of people who wanted, I mean, I'm, I know they were sad for me, but your sadness doesn't make this better. Yeah. You know? And so the things that you can do to maximize it is, don't ask me how I'm doing, help me have a great day. Yes. You know, don't bring your sadness into the room. I'm already sad enough. Just bring your joy. Yes. Yeah, you know, and um, find ways every day to create a memory because you don't know if that day is your last day, so let's create something really beautiful each day. Wow. And then uh, go ahead and eat dessert. Mm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, uh, That's a huge statement for you too. No, enjoy your life, you know, and um, yeah. and then you never know. I, I, I mean, I texted Aaron last night with uh, Chadwick Boseman's death. Yeah. It, it had a, just a real visceral effect on me, and um, what a beautiful human being, and what a great loss to all of us. And forty-three. I know, and I mean, he was in chemo and in therapy for four years. That means he was probably thirty-nine, thirty-eight when he found out. He had cancer. Yeah, young, right? And um, and he lived those years so well, and people didn't even know he was sick. Right. And he created so much great art, and and so there's some sense where you have to decide that you're not dying, you're living. Mm. Um, I, you know, it, it's it's a horrible thing to wait to die. Yeah. And the crazy thing about something like cancer too is you may actually live 20 years. You don't know. Right. So if you act like you're going to die soon you're going to lose all the time you do have so I, why wait to live yeah yeah but it, that, there, there's something there because you know whether it was chadwick boseman or, mm-hmm. or you or even my, my mom in her last year like it was a really difficult year but she still did things to to live because yeah. the waiting around really doesn't do doesn't do anything for any of us but to, i guess to expand on mandy's question here uh there was something fascinating that stood out to me with this question. She said, we don't know how long he has to live. I think that's pretty much true with all of us, that's right? True. Um, I've had some really bad health issues over the last two years. Last summer in particular, I, I thought I was dying. Um, mm. The really bad you know, GI stuff that was happening and doing all these colonoscopies and all this stuff, trying to figure out what, what the heck is going on in there. And uh, it was a really bad time. But I, we don't know how long we have to live. And so maybe talk to me a bit about gratitude throughout this whole process, Aaron. I mean, I never did I think that we would spend this much time together. We work together. We've always been close. But during even this this quarantine, six months of like my whole life, you traveled probably every week, 52 weeks a year. And so then you, you, you get into this place where you're, you know, you're, you're fighting cancer. You're going through this battle. And I think the one thing I learned was how do we leave? We don't, I don't want to leave anything off the table. I want to put everything on. Mm-hmm. Like ways I've felt, things that frustrated me, things, you know, how you would, if you knew you were having a bad day, you wouldn't say it, I would pry it out of you. And maybe I was oppressive in that in that way. But but for me, it was, it was now looking back going, I'm so grateful that I did that because we're able to be honest and transparent with each other in a way I think we never were before. It was like, how are you? I'm good. Because that was how we were trained to be. We were always just trained to be yeah. good. 
Fine, thanks. Fine, thanks. And and then I would have never gotten a text late at night. Hey, I'm like this Chadwick thing's really messing with me. Yeah. So like I'm just grateful we're on a different level of transparency and honesty and openness of even just how we feel, how we think, and how we need to change and grow. And so so gratitude for me was just this time thing that six months like I get to go see them every day. Yeah. They hate it, I'm sure. <laughs> but but uh but I, I get to kind of go in and bug them and, and I'm so grateful for the time thing. So I think, you know, I've been in that position. We don't know when we're gonna live or die. Or yeah. we don't know when we're gonna die. So it is, we only have the choice to live and, and some days it's harder than others. Right. I, I think on those days, being grateful just know like, hey, I'm with you and if we do nothing, then that's a a day well spent. You yeah. know? I think it also had an effect on your life in that you came to me and said I don't want you to have to die for me to step into my own purpose in life. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Let's I talk about that. I think, yeah, I mean, that was, it's it's hard talking about that fight for me. Like, it's very visceral. It's still a feeling that, I think a year later, my sister and I came to each other and we're like, did you ever process this? And I was like, I don't think I ever did. Mm. And, and, you know, sometimes I think we go to war with things in our lives and we don't ever like look back and go, okay, like what, what got broken in the process? But, but in that moment, I, I felt like, you know, we're very, me and you are very, we're very like legacy driven and we're, we're very, we talk about being a hero and how can we live our most heroic life. And, and we talked about like the sacrifice of death and life of it. I, I felt personally like, I didn't want to miss the calling on my life and him pass away and never actually step into it and receive the things that I would, that portion of that blessing or that portion of that investment that I would have um, gained if I had just been willing to listen. Mm. And for me, it was like opening up my mind and, and heart and going, okay, like input into me, the things that I, I would have lost from you, you know? Yeah. So it was just sitting down and listening, I think. And, mm. and, yeah. That's a gift in and of itself. Chad has a question for us here. I want to attend a church where my beliefs don't comport with most Christians, <laughs> at least not literally. Any thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we kind of talked about the church for atheists yeah. thing already. But it's also like stop trying to be in charge. Mm. Like, if you can't go to a church because they don't agree with you, it means that you have a need to be in charge. Ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> the sort I, of control freak, the the OCD that we share. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, be, be I'll never go to a church that agrees with me. <laughs> no, I gave up on that a long time ago. Not even your own. Yeah. Not even my own, because I don't even agree with me. So it's like, you know, when I have other guys speaking, I I don't agree with everything they say. Yeah, and uh, it's just well, you have to let go. You have to be willing to be uncomfortable too. I like I don't. Me and my mom have such an interesting relationship because we we agree on so little more and more over the lifetime but we used to go at it but it didn't stop me from sitting down with her and spending time with her and i think we've become so unwilling to spend any time with anyone who disagrees with us that's so unfortunate I'm like no and my mom is such like she loves her dinner rules like she's so southern it's like there is a process to how you do it mm. and i'm like let's sit wherever it's on the floor it's in the front yard Aaron McManus, we have guests in the house. <laughs> if I walk into a room and don't say hi to every single person individually, I get in so much trouble. But I but I also know that when I walk into a place, like it's okay if things are different for me. And I think sometimes we can we can become so controlling of our environments hmm. that it just ruins our ability to enjoy the simple things. Yeah. Yeah. Edward has a question for us. I'm deeply unsatisfied with my life. 
I'm overweight, stressed out, in debt, and haven't found my passion. And I don't know where to start. Help. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. It's like, how do you eat the elephant, right? Um, uh, well, he said he was overweight, so don't eat the elephant. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually think that, I'm joking, but that's a good place to start. Yeah, health. It is your, your health. And, you know, your your body is a container of your soul and your brain and whatever else you understand to be inside of you. And um, when you are apathetic, it dominoes to every aspect of your life. You know, so I'm I'm 62, but I still try to be super healthy. Yeah. And I um, I still work really, really hard to pull everything out of my body. I know that when my body is not well, I'm limited in my capacity to actualize my dreams, uh, my purpose, my intention. So I, I kind of said, look, it, um, it probably took years for you to get in this really bad situation, but you want to get out of it in a week. Right. You know, and so I would give yourself like a year and go, I'm gonna try to spend a year detoxing from all the bad decisions I made. And in that year, I'm gonna get healthy and you're not gonna do it by yourself. I can already tell you that if you got in this situation and you don't know how to get out, it's not gonna happen alone. Yeah. Uh, you need to get a trainer or you need to go to 24 hour fit or whatever's left open or you need to find a way to start walking every day. You need to get people in your life who are living the kind of life you wanna live. Yes. And I find when I get around people who have the characteristics I want, I start taking on those characteristics. We're very environmental. For sure. You, you know, if we get around really smart people, we get smarter. You know, if we get around people who don't think, we don't think. Yeah. If we get around violent people, we get violent. That's right. And if if you're around lethargic people, you just you just stay lethargic. Yeah. And and or it's if you're by yourself all the time. Yeah. You talk to me a lot about sleep. I think he might need sleep. <laughs> Yeah, I, one of the things that we talk a lot about is like sleep patterns because um, I didn't, I, I, I'm, I have sleep issues, but uh, the hours between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. are the only four hours your brain actually gets rest. Mm. And so if you go to sleep after those hours, your body will get rest, but your brain has not rested at all. Oh. So it's really important for your brain waves and for your mental health to get some sleep between 10 and 2. And, and it's also like uh, about when you wake up in the morning, it's really important to get about 45 minutes of direct sunlight. It doesn't mean you're laying out in the sun. It means you don't wear a hat or sunglasses. You drive with your windows down. Well, you drive with yeah. windows down because that sunlight will actually um, reorient your um, your brain patterns and mental rhythms. It helps release like the natural melatonin. So it's soaking in the sunlight to release your natural melatonin when the sun sets. Mm. So I've really worked with like three neuro clinics over the years. And, um, Before you sleep? Uh, just working with, yeah, I have, I have fascination with neuroscience, but some of it is because I have had unusual brain patterns that um, I needed to address. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, but um, when I first went into one of the uh, neuro clinics, the scientist from um, Taiwan brought me into his office and said, I want you to see the human brain. It had all these colors. He said, this is a perfectly healthy human brain. And I said, well, you're welcome. I thought he was showing me my brain. He goes, no, 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 no. This is what the brain should look like. Now I'm gonna show you your brain. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I had this, um, I have this um, uh, sleep disorder where when I'm asleep, I'm still awake. And when I'm awake, I'm still asleep. And oh, wow. and so I, um, which is funny because I wrote a book called Wide Awake. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, don't sleep through your dreams, which was actually a metaphor of my reality. Uh. And so I have vivid dreams while I'm awake that I can't get out of. And, um, and I've had this probably since I was five or six years old. But so anyway, so I was going and trying to fix some of that and I learned a lot about how just to 
bring mental health through just natural patterns and rhythms. So that's one of the things I would say. You have to just take on some basic patterns. Get up in the morning, walk, take a walk, get 45 minutes of sunlight, get to sleep if you can between that 10 and two. Um, you know, and then eating is really in, important. Yeah. You, you know, and I mean, we have so many methodologies for losing weight and getting healthy, but the truth is you just have to spend more energy than you consume. It's just like that simple, right? Yeah. Yeah. You want to eat real food that has real micronutrients. I mean, I, yeah. I think that that's pretty important, especially for your brain to, to, to eat. Yeah. I mean, the problem is we live in a processed world with too much yeah. processed food. And, and, and if there's any sort of you know, diet or, or, or advice that I'm ever going to give, it has a lot to do with, with avoiding the processed stuff um, because we're living a processed life. I know when we went to Italy. No, go ahead. No, no there was any, I was listening to a, was it a podcast? Oh, no, I was watching I think maybe Masterclass. Ron Gardner, like the urban gardener yeah, yeah, in yeah. It's like South Central LA. He's talk, he does like all of these public school, uh, what is it? I don't know. What are they called? Assemblies. And he talks, he like brings out all these ch- chips and candies and he goes, you and the kids go nuts. They're like, yes, we get to have this. And he goes, amazing. If you can tell me, if you can read the label and tell me what's in it, then you can have it all. And he just he like he's like I live by this one rule: if you cannot read the label, don't eat it. If you can't read it, don't eat it. Yeah, and it was so convicting. So, Love it. You so know, we went to Italy once years ago, years ago for like three weeks. Okay, every day we had pasta. Every day we had uh, pizza. Every day I had gelato. And after three weeks, I lost weight. And uh, we were walking the whole time, but it's because we were eating nothing that was processed. Yeah. And I realized, oh my gosh. I could eat like this if it was healthy. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a great place to end it, gentlemen. Um, Thank you both so much for being here. I want to encourage folks to check out your podcast, Battle Ready. Where else should I send folks? Where else? You know all that. Uh, Amazon to get books, Battle Ready, YouTube to check out Mosaic if you want to check it out. And and, and Instagram is always cool. if they wanted to contact you. Oh, no. Uh, we have an email, Aaron at BattleReadyPodcast.com. But check out an episode if you want to comment or give us a topic suggestion or maybe, you know, a, a comment about interrupting my dad. You can shoot it over to that email and say hi. So, yeah. Hey, thanks so much for having us, man. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate Thank you both. Thank you for having us. All right, y'all. Love people. Use things. We'll see you next time. The Minimalists. <laughs>